0: What some are calling the most drastic move yet against would-be immigrants. A national emergency or a matter of midterm politics? The story today on the Texas Standard.
1: Texas Standard is a production of KUT Austin, KERA North Texas, Houston Public Media, and Texas Public Radio in San Antonio. With support from Rand Group, software delivered as promised no surprises. I'm David
0: Brown. Preparations underway to send up to a thousand U.S. troops to the border to stop a caravan of thousands of would-be migrants. We'll hear what a border mayor and a border agent have to say. Also, the week in Texas politics with the Texas Tribune, and you likely know where kids come from. But what about moms? A pressing question for homecoming season as the lights flicker on football fields again tonight. The Texas Standard gets started right after this. No matter where you are, it's Texas Standard Time on this TGI Friday. I'm David Brown. Thanks for spending a bit of your October 26th with us. We're awfully grateful you can. A look at the Texas ticker, what's making news right now. As you may have just heard, two more explosive devices found this morning. One addressed to New Jersey Democratic Senator Cory Booker and another to frequent Trump critic and former National Intelligence Director James R. Clapper sent to CNN's New York offices. This brings to 12 the total number of bomb packages intercepted. The FBI now turning its attention to a U.S. mail sorting facility near Miami, according to published reports. A new med school for Texas can to interest you in two. University of North Texas Health Science Center and the University of Houston got green lights from the state's higher education agency. That's considered the biggest regulatory hurdle. Austinites simmering over that boil water notice might get some relief on Sunday. That's the target for officials trying to deal with debris and sediment that have cleared out stockpiles of bottled water in the capital city all this week sunday keep your fingers crossed austin as we told you in breaking news this time yesterday the president now planning to send between 800 and a thousand active duty u.s troops to the southern border to counter a caravan of would-be migrants from central america now making their way through mexico the president calls it a national emergency let's hear how they call things down on the border john ferguson is the mayor of Presidio in far west Texas. Mayor Ferguson, welcome to the Texas Standard.
2: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: First off, just your take. What do you make of what the White House is considering here? Almost uh, a thousand troops uh, heading to the border and perhaps closing it off to this caravan of migrants.
2: Well, you know, I, I have lived in Presidio long enough to have seen, unfortunately, uh, the killing of an innocent uh high school student back in 1997 Ezekiel Hernandez and that was when uh, armed troops were on the border fortunately uh, the troops that have been stationed along the border are not armed uh, we actually do have probably a handful in Presidio presently and so I really think that the whole the whole process is you know a lot of a lot of politics involved but once they more or less get their boots on the ground here in Presidio it's kind of a kind of logistical role. Uh, I really haven't seen them out in the field with the border patrol apprehending or anything like that. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that hasn't really seemed to cause a whole lot of ripples, so to speak, here in Presidio.
0: Now, as I understand it, there are about 2,000 National Guard troops that are there under the previous Pentagon arrangement. This time, as I understand it, we're talking about active duty forces. And you mentioned that, uh, that shooting incident that occurred back in 1997. I believe that was a Marine who was on a counter-narcotics mission who shot a, an 18-year-old herding goats in Redford is that is that what you were referring to?
2: Yes, yes, uh, in fact uh, Ezekiel was a, was a student of mine in fact, uh, just a charming young man and unfortunately, uh, it was just uh, you know, kind of a perfect storm. Uh, these guys were out in their ghillie suits and he was out herding his goats and he was armed with a, a 22 rifle and uh, he shot at something that was moving and they returned fire and then that was pretty much the end of the story unfortunately. Um, they they were armed, and I'm I'm assuming that any new deployment would be of unarmed troops. So mm-hmm. you know you know if they, if they bring some more in, I I, I assume they'd be doing similar duties.
0: Mm-hmm. You know the New York Times and other newspapers uh, uh, certainly on the East Coast are saying that this is the and I want to quote here the starkest indication yet of Mr. Trump's election season push to play to his anti-immigrant base as his party fights to keep control of Congress. Close quote. That's the New York Times. How do you see this? Do you see this as largely political or do you uh, or are you concerned, in fact, about that uh, uh, so-called migrant caravan moving northward?
2: Yeah, I absolutely see it as as politics. Uh, And as far as the immigrants are concerned, I have actually assisted immigrants who have have been processed by the Border Patrol. uh, And again, when these immigrants appear here in Presidio or in the outlying areas, they Almost always present them. So they'll they'll just they'll just sit down at the roadside for the border patrol to come and and pick them up. And so again, it, we don't we here on the border do not consider it as a, an invasion. You know, we don't. There's no fear in our community. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it definitely plays well on on the national television. But as far as you know, those of us here locally, it's uh, it's just kind of another day in Presidio.
0: Mayor Ferguson, um, you've been awfully uh, kind to take some, uh, t- take some time to talk with us. I, I have to ask you uh, uh, with uh, more troops coming in if, in fact that happens, uh, how do you think y- your population is going to react to that? Is, I mean, you say that there's not a sense of an invasion from the south. What about uh, having, uh, having uh, active duty forces coming in from the north?
2: Well, you know, uh, you know, I-, I don't think it's necessary. Like I said, we have seen – we've seen these these troops here already. I mean, I I, I wish we would spend our money – there's a lot of other ways I I think we could be spending our our taxpayers' dollars. And and I I don't – you know, I think this is all just kind of political theater. If they blend in kind of like they've done previously, again, it's – you know, it's – we don't – there's not much to say about it. But if they come in and and we see a more aggressive role – then and I'd have a I'd have a real problem with that and I'm hoping it doesn't come to that but that's you know that's kind of where we are right now
0: John Ferguson is the mayor of the border town Presidio Texas in far west Texas Mayor Ferguson thank you for spending a few minutes out uh, of your day to talk with us on the standard
2: Thank you so much and you guys have a great day
0: Now let's get a take from someone who's on the front lines. His job is to patrol that border. Chris Cabrera is vice president with the National Border Patrol Council. He represents Border Patrol employees in the Rio Grande Valley. Welcome back to the Texas Standard. Yeah, thank you for having me. What do you think of these plans to send active duty military troops to the southern border?
3: I think if they let these troops, when they come down, let them work, let them get out there and and be a force multiplier, I think it'll be... um, very successful, unfortunately, what we've seen recently with the last deployment is they hadn't let these guys um, work the way they had in the past. they're They're not letting them out to the field. They're not letting them force multiply. they're they're keeping them in the back so they're they're really not able to get out and and do what we need them to
0: do Now, let me ask you something, um, the the president has characterized this caravan as an invasion. Do you see it that way?
3: Uh, you know I, I I don't know if invasion is the right word. I, I can understand where he's coming from though. You know, I, it, you know, and I guess in a sense it is an invasion. Um, I mean, you think about it, you having, you know, two, four, five, ten thousand 10,000 folks, just, just storming across and, 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 you know, they haven't come across yet here, but we did see them storm across the, the bridge in Southern Mexico and they're just taking what they want. And what that is, is, Hey, we want to come in and we're coming in now, whether you like it or not. Um, that's not what the rule of law says. You just can't come on in and do what you want. I mean, these guys need people, anybody that comes into our country, especially if they're going to be here for an extended period. You need medical screening. You need the health screening. Uh, how are you going to support yourself? There There's many different factors that come in with immigrating to our country. You just can't just come in and take it. That's just not the way
0: things are done here. Well, speaking of the way things are done here, I think that something that the mayor of Presidio was concerned about was, you know, that what sort of tactics and force these troops would be authorized to use. I mean, just how militarized. These troops would be. I mean, I hear you talking about you know getting medical attention for those crossing the border um, uh, illegally. Uh, you concerned about the militarization of of the border? If you have troops staring down uh, uh, would be migrants with uh, w- with guns.
3: You know, I, I can understand that. Um, I, I know when we first started started getting uh, National Guard troops in, you know, there was that question. Of you know what's going to happen. These guys are used to doing things a different way, and I was in the military, so I understand why you know people see it that way. Is you know you know what are they going to do you know, you know when, when they come across something? But at the end of the day, the, these these young men and women in the in the service, they're they're highly trained. Um, they're 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 good folks. They're you know, uh, and, and and I've not, I haven't seen anything to to make me believe that that something would go awry with having troops down there.
0: Agent, are you concerned about the politicization of the border here? I mean, is this more politics than, than practical uh, help?
3: Yeah, it, it's all politics. It, it's 100% politics, and that's the problem with it. Um, for instance, I'll give you a quick, for instance, a couple uh, months back, we had people coming down to our areas and telling us that the, um, the, the holding facilities, the processing centers were, were Nazi camps and, and child penitentiaries, and it was a shame, and we should be ashamed of ourselves. Uh, and it was uh, I think it was a congresswoman from California who'd been a congresswoman since 2008. Um, the facility went up in 2014. She didn't have a problem in 2014 under a Democratic president. But now a Republican president, it's a Nazi camp um, and nothing will get fixed. Nothing will ever get fixed with this immigration system as long as people keep thinking Democrat, Republican. And I don't mean to say it's one party or the other. It's both parties. Both parties are at fault for this. Both parties in, in Congress are, are at fault and they need to take off their their, their their partisan cap, put it aside and get in and fix the problem. If they can't do that, then they need to step aside and let somebody uh, in who will do that. Because at the end of the day, what we're looking at, regardless of what side of this immigration debate you stand on, whether it's let a man keep them out, yes, no, whatever, a lot of young innocent children are being harmed by this. They're falling victim to child predators along the way to um, to heat related injuries. It's insane. And if if people care about these young ones trying to come across or being sent by their parents to come across, then we need to fix this problem because if not, we're going to see more harmed young ones along the way.
0: Agent Chris Cabrera is vice president with the National Border Patrol Council, which represents Border Patrol employees working in the RGV. Agent Cabrera, thanks again for speaking with us.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Joining us here in the studio, it's our social media editor, Wells Dunbar. What are folks talking about in this? Hi, David. Ryan. Reaction
4: pouring into the Trump administration decision, sending some 800 or so troops to the border as yep. that caravan of migrants seeking asylum winds its way north. On our Facebook page, Susan Shefflow Spear asks, didn't Texas send troops to the border earlier this year, and hasn't it been, in my opinion, a huge waste of time and money? Meanwhile, Kim Lower Soto says this about the attention trained on the caravan I think we should stop giving so much media coverage to it. And David, I'm seeing a lot of debate out there over whether or not Republicans are sensationalizing these issues to motivate their base and that continued media coverage of the caravan could be potentially serving those ends. Interesting. Obviously, lots of emotions running high yeah, out there. You bet. Also following the latest in the case of the bombs sent to several prominent Democrats and critics of Donald Trump, I believe that number uh, swelled to include uh, Senator Cory Booker right. today as right. well. Mm-hmm. The Department of Justice confirming that a man in Florida has been taken into custody. And so we're continuing to keep an eye on that situation as well. Lots going on today, David. So I
0: will be back with more later in the broadcast. If we haven't heard from you yet, please tweet us and let us know what's making news in your neck of Texas. That's at Texas Standard. That's our Twitter handle. Or you can join the conversation on Facebook. Wells Dunbar is our social media editor, and he's going to be back with more of the talk of Texas in about 35 minutes
1: or so. Stay with us. Support comes from Texas Children's Hospital, focused on outcomes and care, and providing treatment to kids in the Lone Star State and beyond for more than 60 years. Texas Children's Hospital, personalized care for every child. More at TexasChildrens.org. Hey, it's the Texas
0: Standard. I'm David Brown. Congressional District 23, it's one of the longest in the country, takes eight hours to drive across from San Antonio, almost out, out to El Paso. It's also arguably the site of the most hotly contested race in Texas this political season after the Cruz O'Rourke Senate contest, of course. Yesterday, we heard about the size and demographics from reporters on each end of the district where Democrat Gina Ortiz-Jones is challenging the Republican incumbent, Will Hurd. Today, Marfa Public Radio's Carlos Morales and Texas Public Radio's Ryan Poppy dig into the issues. Ryan, let's start with
5: a
6: topic that everybody seems concerned about, health care. That's certainly the case here in Northern Bear County, Carlos. It's the most affluent section of the district. That's where I meet up with Janet Oglethorpe, sipping an artisan brew at her favorite coffee shop.
7: When I had a colonosc- my first colonoscopy about 10 years ago, they found a polyp about the size of a freckle, removed it, but that gave me a pre-existing condition and meant
8: that, and it was spelled out in our policy that I would not be covered for colon cancer.
6: Her main worry, that the Affordable Care Act will be dismantled or replaced with a plan that brings the country back to the days before the ACA. On the other side of the district,
5: down in Presidio, by the Big Bend region, the issue is the same, but the concerns are simpler. Reynalda Carrasco-Garcia, she just wants better medical services. Carrasco-Garcia says a lot of people in this part of Texas have to travel to cities hours away to get to a hospital. Yo, por ejemplo, mejor me voy a Chihuahua porque... Sometimes she says it's just easier to go to Mexico.
6: Back here in San Antonio, I meet Vietnam War veteran Jose Arzolo at a gym's diner. Over easy. He says access to veterans' health care benefits you, is good, but getting the VA to declare a service-related medical condition as a disability, that's tough.
9: For example, I've, I've been uh, going back and forth with the VA for the last, well, I retired from the Navy in 1999. So I would say about 2000, 2001, I've been going back and forth uh, trying to get my disability service connected.
6: Arzola's worried about his own care, of course. But what also concerns him is whether his family will get the benefits if he dies from one of those conditions. Dennis Yancey is also a veteran. What concerns him most?
5: Immigration and border security. We met up at a Will Hurd rally in Alpine. Okay, I've lived in, in, in countries where I understand I understand why they want to come here. But financially, we can't afford it no more. And, and I hate to say that, but that's just the bottom line. Yancey says his views about the border were shaped by his years in the Army. And that's the other concern. We've got to be able to, to control who's in our country. If we don't know who the bad guys are, you can't defend against it.
6: And sooner or later, it's going to hit small town USA. In Elotes, a suburb west of San Antonio, Lonnie Pope's on the same page. She teaches special education and is a staunch supporter of President Trump's border wall.
7: If we, we have no borders, then we have a huge amount of space there that anybody can come in. But I, I think having that wall would be something that would make me feel more comfortable.
6: Pope also favors streamlining and reforming the country's current immigration system so that migrants have more legal options to come here.
5: In my part of District 23, Ryan, a lot of the voters I talked with have a preferred candidate in mind.
6: Still, some folks are mulling over the decision. But Carlos, they still have time. But not a lot of time. Early voting ends next Friday, and election day
5: is November 6th. For the Texas Standard, I'm Carlos Morales in Marfa, way
6: out west in District 23. And from 400 miles east in San Antonio, I'm Ryan Poppy.
1: Support for coverage of business on Texas Standard comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider ensuring compassionate care for injuries of every size at businesses big and small. Learn more at WorkSafeTexas.com.
0: And you are listening to The Texas Standard. In the 50s and 60s, NASA was always on the lookout for pilots and scientists with the right stuff. Now NASA is looking for a few good startups. Texas Public Radio's Paul Flav tells us about a competition underway as we speak. When it comes to the next generation of
10: space exploration, scientists don't know the answer to many questions. Just to name a few, what's the best way to store power for an extraterrestrial colony? How do we better incorporate wearable tech? And how do we safely perform surgery in space? Jacques Zonneveld and his company Lazarus 3D think they have an answer, 3D-printed tissue and organ replicas. Currently, thank God, no one has ever done a serious surgery in space. But the first time that happens, we want to make sure our astronauts are prepared as possible so that they'll have the best shot at possible at saving that person's life. Nearby, a hard replica of an infant skull is printing in the company's cramped Houston offices. But the real magic is in the soft replicas they make. Using precision MRI scans, they can make it possible for a doctor to trial run high risk surgeries, say removing a tumor from a kidney on lifelike replicas of the patient's actual kidneys and tumors. But in space, where so many things are unknown, Zanoveld says they should be sending entire replicas of each astronaut. So rather than just having a random medical model, it could be a model of Scott Parasinski, you know, one of the astronauts. Lazarus 3D's one of 10 finalists for the NASA iTech Forum, where startups present their terrestrial products to investors and NASA technologists for potential space application.
11: As a small boy, I was quite crushed to learn that I would never enroll in Starfleet Academy. Mason
10: Harrop is the chief scientist for New Dominion Enterprises, a San Antonio-based company half this cycles finalists are located in texas
9: so the best that i can do as a terrestrial
11: scientist is to try to make that happen for future generations
10: harrop left the prestigious idaho national laboratory licensing battery technology that he created there The batteries last longer and emergency crews rushing to Logan Airport to put out a fire on a jumbo jet. No more battery fires causing exploding e-cigarettes or grounding Boeing Dreamliners like in early 2013.
1: And when firefighters arrived, heavy smoke was filling the cabin of the new Boeing 787.
10: By replacing components of the battery, he says the stability could make the lithium ion platform right for electrical grid storage on some faraway colony. Despite Harrop's enthusiasm for space, NASA iTech founder Kira Blackwell says most startups don't create businesses for space. But when she tells them NASA's interested.
1: After they pick their chin up off the table, um, (laughs) they're usually pretty excited.
10: And that's great for NASA, she says, because so many technologies are flourishing outside of government spheres, especially in artificial intelligence and automation. That's why she convinced her superiors to start the program, to invite entrepreneurs in to pitch technologies. Now in the fifth iteration of iTech, NASA's has convinced dozens of companies that space may be an option without spending money on earlier stages of hardware development.
1: It's a unique way in which we're trying to leverage you know, innovative technologies without spending more taxpayer dollars on the investment in the earlier stages.
10: Winning startups don't get a big check, nor a lucrative government contract. They get exposure, validation from NASA. With investors and companies like Lockheed Martin in the audience, it's paid off for some of the past 40 finalists.
1: Those 40 companies have been able to leverage $237 million of private investment dollars without federal matching dollars or anything like that.
10: With five competitions in less than two years, iTech shows no signs of slowing convincing entrepreneurs to turn their eyes to the sky when considering what they're building here on the ground. In San Antonio, I'm Paul Flav for the Texas Standard.
0: Hey, what you doing this weekend? We'd love to hear about it. Tweet us at Texas Standard. We have a terrific idea. The editor of Kirkus Reviews is going to come in. That's a big hint, by the way. He's going to be joining us in the next segment right after the Texas Roundup, so
1: stick around, won't you? Support for Texas Standard comes from TCU, where Horned Frogs strive to be ethical leaders and global citizens, like Mike Slattery, who empowers students to save the world's remaining rhinos. More at leadon.tcu.edu. TCU. Lead On.
7: From the Texas Standard Newsroom, I'm Alexandra Hart with a roundup of news from across the state. Just days after a lawsuit was filed on behalf of students at Prairie View A&M University alleging voter suppression over lack of early voting opportunities, another Texas university is complaining of similar problems. Students at Texas State University had only three days of on-campus early voting. In comparison, many polling places are open for two weeks, and students and voting rights advocates say that amounts to voter suppression. The Texas Civil Rights Project sent a letter to Hayes County Thursday evening demanding that they reopen on-campus early voting locations or face a lawsuit. In an email sent to Hayes County Republican Women on Wednesday, North Hayes GOP President Wally Kinney called on the group to ask the county commissioner not to extend voting for students, saying, quote, If we are to change the rules in the middle of the game, it favors Democrats, and we sure don't want to do that. In a follow-up interview with Austin ABC affiliate KVU News, Kenny dismissed allegations of voter suppression.
2: Well, to say there's voter suppression that some of the candidates have said, that's, just, that's, that's delusional.
7: The letter from the Texas Civil Rights Project requests a response from county officials by 12 p.m. Friday. New data shows Harris County has more immigration-related community arrests than any other county in Texas, and the fourth highest number nationwide. Houston Public Media's Elizabeth Troval has more.
10: Over an eight-month period, immigration authorities picked up and arrested 835 people throughout the county. Only three other counties nationwide had more community arrests. Researcher Susan Long. When it comes to community arrests, that is uh, arrests where ICE picks up someone who is living or working, you know, in the community. Syracuse University data show arrests happened between October 2017 and May 2018. In that same period, Harris County also had the most law enforcement-related ICE arrests in the country. Over 6,000 immigrants were turned over to immigration authorities after they had been in the custody of local police. THOSE ARRESTS SPRING FROM A RANGE OF CHARGES, FROM TRAFFIC VIOLATIONS TO ASSAULT. IN
7: HOUSTON, I'M ELIZABETH TROVAL. A FORMER aide TO U.S. REPRESENTATIVE, HENRY QUAYAR, SAYS THAT SHE WAS FIRED FROM HER JOB FOR BEING PREGNANT, A VIOLATION OF FEDERAL LAW. Christy SMALL SAYS THAT WHEN SHE MET WITH THE Laredo DEMOCRAT TO DISCUSS MATERNITY LEAVE, HE PUT HER ON A 90-DAY PROBATIONARY PERIOD. SMALL SAYS THAT QUAYAR SET PERFORMANCE MARKERS AND CLAIMED SHE DIDN'T MEET THEM. Small has filed a complaint with the United States Congress Office of Compliance. That's a look at news from across the state. I'm Alexandra Hart for The Texas Standard.
1: Support for these Texas Standard headlines comes from the Texas Secretary of State, providing voters details on required identification for voting in person at the polls. More at VoteTexas.gov or 800-252-VOTE. This
0: is The Texas Standard. I'm David Brown. "'Tis the season to be reading." Well, come on now, any season's good for that, of course, but it seems fall is the season for festivals dedicated to the subject. From Houston to Colleen, Round Rock to Corpus Christi, this uh, season for book festivals seems to go on until the end of winter, really, but this weekend kicks off the Texas Book Festival in the capital city, the big kahuna, you might say. Clay Smith is editor-in-chief of Austin-based Kirkus Reviews, and... Clay, do I understand that you used to be the literary director of this festival? That is correct. Um, That's how you got your start in this biz, huh? Yeah,
12: I know a a thing or two about this.
0: What what was the uh, uh, part of the festival that you most enjoyed? Oh,
12: God. You know, it's funny because when I took the job, I thought, okay, I can do this for maybe like two years. It's a lot of work. Um, (laughs) But then, like, you know, the the new books came in every year and new ideas and uh, sort of expanded the festival and added a Saturday night event called Lit Crawl. So it was really just bringing all these writers together and and having unexpected things happen when you put them together.
0: Yeah. So... um... As I understand it, this was founded 23 years ago by someone uh, who I think most people would recognize, right? Former First Lady?
12: Yes, Laura Bush. Yeah is um the the founder of it and uh some people like mary margaret farabee and carolyn osborne and others reagan gammon went to her um here in austin and uh said that you know there's something unique to texas literature and that we need to be celebrating it and it started with i want to say about 40 writers really um, at the capitol that first year and now it's um 300 this year wow
0: It's a a lot of fun to get to meet some of these uh, people. I mean, very famous uh, political figures, people in the news that... uh...
12: Yeah, and all of it's open and free to the public. Um, So, Cecile Richards, the outgoing president of Planned Parenthood, Parenthood, she has a memoir titled Make Trouble. You may also know her as the daughter of...
7: And and Richards, Richards.
12: yeah. Uh, It's sort of a political festival this year. I mean, you might expect that. We're in a really political mood in this country
0: nowadays.
12: Absolutely. But um, Pete Souza, who was President Obama's official White House photographer, Mm -hmm. is going to be closing things off with his book
0: shade a tale of two presidents i have heard about this book and a lot of people yeah. are saying it's it's going to be uh, terrific yeah. uh maybe we should pick a couple of events that yeah. you might recommend i mean for, let's should we start with fiction or maybe nonfiction? fiction yeah. what do you think
12: yeah on sunday there's um a fiction panel that i'm really excited about and actually it's in the Kirkus reviews tent mm-hmm. uh, so this one features tayari jones and luis alberto orella in conversation. And the idea here is about family. Um, novels that are depicting the complexity of family dynamics in, in really vibrant ways. And so people may know Tyari Jones um, for her novel An American Marriage, which came out earlier this year, mm-hmm. and Oprah chose it for her book club. Um, and it deals with unjust incarceration and how a woman whose husband is in jail um unjustly deals with that. Mm -hmm. Um, It also features Luis Alberto Urrea, whose novel, The House of Broken Angels, has also done really well this year. Um, So that's going to be a fascinating um, conversation, and that one is on Sunday. And now, what about the
0: nonfiction element? That's my favorite.
12: Yeah. So everybody may remember the 2016 election. I seem to recall (laughs) it, yeah. Um, On Saturday, there's going to be a really great panel called America on the Fritz reporting 2016, uh, and it features Ben Fountain, who has a book called Beautiful Country Burn Again, and this book is a selection of sort of essays he wrote for The Guardian newspaper. And then Amy Chozik, who is a native Texan, um, and her book is called Chasing Hillary, and she was one of the correspondents um, for The New York Times who was assigned to the Clinton campaign. Right, right. Um, And so both of them are recollecting what happened during the 2016 election, and may have some interesting insights
0: about um, what may be happening. That in sounds November. terrific. Now we're going to have these picks at texasstandard.org, so you can uh, check them out just in case you weren't taking notes there. Um, <laughs> I have to ask you about the lit crawl, however. You were yeah. talking about what is that? What's involved?
12: Yeah, in? that's really fun. It takes place on Saturday night on Austin's east side, and it's maybe six or seven venues. And they're running more sort of um, eclectic events, I guess, uh, all throughout the night. And the venues are not that far from one another. So you can walk from one to the next. You can sort of see the crowd, uh, this literary crowd, which, you know, it's, it's hard to remember, like, Literary people, we we don't get together in crowds all that much. It's like we're, <laughs> right. we're reading, at, <laughs> right. you know, at home. Um, <laughs> so it's really nice to see these crowds of literary people, you know, sort of trekking through East Austin.
0: Well, if you want to get out and about and enjoy some good books and the authors, the folks who bring them to you, this is definitely the event, Texas. It is called the Texas Book Festival, and it takes place this weekend in the capital city. Clay Smith is editor in chief of Austin-based Kirkus Reviews. Thanks so much, Clay, and hope to see you out there. Yeah, thank you.
1: Support for Texas Standard comes from Texas CASA, advocating for a safe and positive future for all Texas children in the child protection system. Volunteer information at becomeacasa.org. Every child has a chance. It's you. Support for Texas Standard comes from Texas Oncology, with a reminder that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. To aid early detection, all women over the age of 40 should undergo routine screening, like yearly mammograms more at texasoncology.com.
0: This is the Texas Standard. I'm David Brown. Let's stick with seasons, shall we? Spring, known as the season for flowers, but of course fall has its share of blooms too. In fact, we're now in the high season for an especially Texan variety, something called the mum. This time of year, they pop up at high school homecomings all across the Lone Star State. It's a rite of passage, no doubt, but one that the Texas
11: Standard's Zone Michael Marks had some questions about. First, to make sure we're all on the same page, homecoming mums are something that vaguely resemble a chrysanthemum corsage. From this fluffy centerpiece comes a stream of decorations. Ribbons, braids, trinkets, pennants, teddy bears, Christmas lights. The gaudier and bigger, the better. Giving a mum or a garter, that's the smaller version boys wear on their arms, to your homecoming date is a uniquely Texas tradition. It is the type of thing that, when presented to non-Texans, typically elicits this kind of response.
1: Oh my gosh, I just learned who they are.
4: (laughs) But they're insane.
11: That's Claire McInerney. She's an education reporter for KUT in Austin and a native Kansan. Since this is her first homecoming season in Texas, I wanted to get her thoughts on the tradition.
8: I I do want to know how it got started. I think that's super, like, what is the origin story of these?
11: Claire's question was also my question. In my experience, mums are just part of living in Texas. Tides go in, tides go out. Texas high schoolers wear mums in the fall. What I wanted to know was how, when, and why the tradition started. I wanted to find patient zero for mums, pinpoint the exact origin story. I decided to start with the mums themselves, so I went to the source, a store in the Dallas suburb of Plano called The Mum Shop. It is a mum mecca, floor to ceiling with whatever you might need to make one. It was busy on the weekend afternoon I visited, filled mostly with moms and daughters like Tony and Devin Weber. Devin is a senior at Plano East High School, so this mom would be her last. She and her mom were planning accordingly.
7: We're going huge. So the first year was one mom, second year was two moms. Uh, last year we did three, and this year we have a 12-inch with like four around it. So it's huge. It's going to cover. It, the it'll, whole torso is yeah. what we're going for, is yeah. to cover the whole torso.
11: Tony grew up in Texas, too, so I asked her if she knew why we did this.
7: So if I remember the story correctly, it was, it was either 40s or 50s, and um, they did an actual chrysanthemum flower, and then it just kind of took on its own life after that.
11: The synthetic mums are actually a fairly new development. For most of their history, real chrysanthemums have been the norm. It's not totally clear why the chrysanthemum and not some other flower, but Scott Sosby at least has a theory.
9: You're talking about when this gets started, you're talking about the depression, therefore You're not going to have the means to buy these things quite often would have been things that that, uh, people grew. Chrysanthemums were a common flower, particularly in East Texas uh, during the 30s. Almost everybody had chrysanthemums and they were easy to grow. They still are.
11: Sosby is an associate professor of history at Stephen F. Austin State University. I spoke to some florists about this, and it seems that the switch from real flowers to fake ones was a matter of demand. Real mums die and wither away, synthetic ones don't. So when given the choice, high schoolers opted for the keepsake that would last forever. The transition seems to have happened in the early 90s, and an exponential expansion of ribbons and trinkets followed. But I wondered about their link to homecoming itself. Several universities claim the first homecoming happened on their campus around 1910, one of which is Baylor. I thought maybe the link between mums and homecoming could be hiding somewhere in Waco. Luckily, all of Baylor's yearbooks are digitized. So I started browsing through them. Book by book, I looked, starting in the 1910s, going all the way through the 20s, still going up to the 30s with nary a mum in sight. As I wondered which would go first, my mouse or my clicker finger, finally, I found her the 1936 Baylor homecoming queen, a junior named Marguerite Joyce. In the yearbook photo, she's leaning up against a float, wearing a jacket with enormous buttons and holding a football to her body like a running back. Just above the football, pinned to the upper left side of the jacket, is a large chrysanthemum topped with a ribbon tied in a bow. Marguerite actually doesn't look all that happy to be wearing it. You couldn't call her expression a frown, but, It certainly doesn't resemble the joy one might associate with a homecoming queen these days. But I was happy enough for the both of us to have found a clue. It didn't last, though. I couldn't find anything else about Marguerite Joyce, much less where she got that mum. She wasn't even in the 1937 yearbook, which would have been her senior year. But it is clear that her photo represented a mum spillover point. It's
7: only in the 30s. You start seeing images and they would be
8: wearing a, like a corsage kind of flower and then them growing into into like traditional
9: mums.
11: That's Chloe Northrup. She's a history professor at Tarrant County Community College who put together a museum exhibit on mums in 2016. Some of the people she interviewed claimed that mums were out there even before the mid 30s.
8: And I think that that's something that, that would definitely probably merit more attention.
11: Meaning concrete proof was scarce. I kept looking, scanning through old papers, yearbooks, oral histories, for clues about where the mums came from. But to me, whatever happened in the years leading up to that photo of Marguerite Joyce remained a mystery. Eventually, my question changed from where mums come from to why didn't we have this information. Texans love the things we can claim as our own that others cannot. And even though now you do find some mums here and there in other states outside of Texas, mums still fit perfectly in that category. I wondered how we lost this particular thread. I was perplexed. Others were not.
9: No, it does not surprise me at all.
11: Again, Professor Scott Sosby of Stephen F. Austin. He says there's all sorts of traditions whose origins we've just lost. Looking for the birth of the mum may be among them.
9: Sounds like you're chasing
11: Ahab's whale here a little bit, huh? It did feel that way, and it also felt like I'd failed. But then I talked to Nancy Newberry.
7: I don't think you're the only one.
11: Newberry's a photographer based in Dallas. She's a native Texan, and she's taken dozens of photos of mums and garters as part of a series. Newberry wore mums as a kid, and when she turned her camera toward them as an adult, she came up with the same questions I did.
7: I literally tried to find anything I could on this, and I was really coming up empty-handed.
11: Newberry's been looking for the origin of mums far longer than I have. So I wanted to know, does not having those answers somehow diminish the tradition?
7: I don't think it's important necessarily to know where it came from, but I think it's important to reflect on where it came from, because I think that they, these traditions and rituals link us back to a broader, a broader space.
11: This did little to satisfy my curiosity, but it did make sense. There's a good amount of gaudiness and unnecessary excess that goes along with making a mum. But, like Newberry said, there's also a connection. A connection to something bigger, something uniquely Texan, something from our past. Even if we're uncertain exactly what that past looks like. For The Texas Standard, I'm Michael Marks.
0: Uh, but we know what it sounds like, don't we? Yeah, Adolf Hoffner taking us up to 49 minutes past the hour. Texas Standard time. Y'all stick around.
1: Support for Texas Standard comes from Rand Group, providing NetSuite ERP solutions built in the cloud. More at softwareaspromised.com. Support for Texas Standard comes from Texas CASA, advocating for a safe and positive future for all Texas children in the child protection system. Volunteer information at becomeacasa.org. Every child has a chance. It's you.
9: My name is David Fruchter, and I am with the Typewriter Rodeo. Group of friends, writers who take our vintage manual typewriters, and we type poems on request for anyone who comes up and asks us for a poem. No mask? No mask. This Halloween, I think I'll be something really scary. Like a sudden allergy to wheat or eggs or dairy or a knock upon the door, and when you go to answer, someone from a cause you love says, please give what you can, sir. Yes, I might dress as liberal guilt, or to scare the other side, I'll be a wave of social change that they're forced to abide. I might dress like a government department that's been gutted, or damning proof that gets tweeted of with whom, last night, you rutted. So many costumed choices there, so many fears to be but none so very terrifying as being the real me. My name is David Fruchter, and I am with the Typewriter Rodeo. You're listening to The Texas Standard.
1: Support for the Typewriter Rodeo comes from Texas Children's Hospital. Focused on outcomes and care and providing treatment to kids in the Lone Star State and beyond for more than 60 years. Texas Children's Hospital. Personalized care for every child. More at texaschildrens.org.
0: You know how this works, right? The Typewriter Rodeo wants your requests. Send us yours. Texas Standard at KUT.org. Then listen every Friday here on The Standard. And you can also find those poems anytime on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are served. Well, here we are last Friday of October, a mere 11 days till November 6th. And you know what that means. Where are we with those midterms? Emily Ramshaw, editor-in-chief of the Texas Tribune, joins us now. Ready to talk about the week that was in Texas politics, Emily?
8: Yes, David, of course.
0: <laughs> All right. So I understand, well, before we get to the uh, lines outside of the uh, uh, grocery stores and that sort of thing, I understand there is a new UT Texas Trib poll out. And what, uh, what does it reveal?
8: You're right. It shows that Ted Cruz is up by six percentage points over Beto O'Rourke in the U.S. Senate race. Uh, he's up 51 to 45 with a, a couple of percentage points for the Libertarian and a couple of percentage points for somebody else. So this is about in line with a lot of the other polling you're seeing right now. It doesn't come as a huge surprise, showing about a six percent margin.
0: What about independents? Do they, they show up uh, anywhere here?
8: You know, independents are sort of saying uh, that they are leaning with uh, Beto O'Rourke in this particular race. So I think you're seeing Beto Hmm. get a lift from the independents in this particular bid.
0: I have to ask about this because I know that we're going to hear from some listeners who say, well, you know, this – this poll comes out uh, as early voting is underway, and, and I, 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 how do you answer folks who might say that, that this uh, might sort of depress uh, Democrats uh, who uh, you know, are, are upset that their candidate isn't doing as well as, as they would hope?
8: Well, you know, first of all, uh, this doesn't take into account the early vote. Obviously, early voting are actual ballots cast. um, But, you know, I think for the most accurate assessment of where the electorate is, the goal is to get as close to the election as possible with some of this polling. So I think this is a pretty accurate reflection of where the electorate was in the last several days. Um, that said, I think, you know, these early voting turnout numbers have been so high that that's probably uh, equally exciting for the Democrats in this race.
0: We have to talk about the high turnout across the state. What do you make of this? I mean, do you think, in fact, it favors one party over another?
8: You know, I, I think it's still too early to tell whether it favors one party or another. You're seeing excitement and voter turnout uh, in all of the sort of top 30 counties in the state, some of which break Republican, obviously. Uh, It's looking like we're going to blow through early voting totals from the 2014 midterm. And I think this election, the early voting turnout is going to look more like a presidential year. So again, too early to see who that favors. There's excitement on both sides of the aisle, but uh, looking like at least we're getting more people to the polls than usual.
0: A lot of national attention focused right now on our southern border with Mexico. We've been talking about the... uh, A so-called migrant caravan, which is still in southern Mexico, making its way north. And it's becoming, I don't know, it seems to be getting a lot of attention as we uh, do approach uh, Election Day. You think it's going to move the needle one way or the other?
8: You know, this tends to be an issue, border security and immigration, that really riles up the Republicans. So I think you can see Republicans making a lot of noise about this, taking advantage of this caravan as an opportunity to have another conversation about border security. You may have seen yesterday, that Trump's now considering this plan to ban the entry of migrants at the country's southern border and deny asylum, uh, which would seem to be like largely unconstitutional and would end up in the courts, of course. But again, a great example of a way to get the base excited ahead of the November election.
0: Emily Ramshaw is editor in chief at the Texas Tribune, -tribune texastribune.org. Check it out so you can keep up with what's making news in Texas politics. Emily, thanks so much for taking a few minutes out to talk with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Thanks. See you next week. And you were listening to The Texas Standard. You know what that means, right? Social media editor Wells Dunbar is back in the house. Uh, what are Texans talking about
4: here? Hi, David. Well, we're hearing from our friends and listeners about some of the stories on today's show. We've got a tweet from John. He says, great story about the Texas Book Festival today with all the divisive and polarizing issues in the news. How refreshing it is to talk books and literacy mm-hmm. and really is a fun thing to go to if you've never checked it out and speaking about all that uh, tension and polarization there uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show Department of Justice notes that they have arrested a man in Florida in connection with those uh, bombs sent to several high profile Democrats so obviously keep it tuned to this public radio station for more about that. For the very latest. Well shifting gears I think we touched a nerve with our story about moms judging by some of the reactions uh-huh. that are pouring in here today. Well, uh, <laughs> kind of kind of spans the gamut here, I guess you could say. Shelby say that mums make me so happy. I was never the type of girl to really partake in them, but homecoming and mums make me so excited for the fall. And it really is, as we heard from, in that great story from our pal Michael Marks, a very uh, uniquely Texas uh, tradition there. Yeah, I mean, if you spent a lot of time in Texas, you might not even realize <laughs> just yeah. how Texan the mums I are. Really, I didn't really realize it was a solely Texas thing until today, quite honestly meanwhile on the other end of the spectrum taylor barnett tweets us i only had one and what a freaking waste of money it was <laughs> and taking it one step forward here ellie holmes says i couldn't stand moms they ruined my shirt i did an armband my senior year and it was also annoying it just kept falling my school had a senior parade and marched to city hall they just didn't survive either you got to wonder, yeah, if you are a really active high school student, how beat up is that mom going to look oh, at yeah, the end for, of the sure. end of homecoming? Oh, year? Yeah, it's going to be sure. all right. But don't, but don't blame it on the
0: mums. You can't say, I hate mums because of what it looked like. Well, you strapped the mom on. Come on.
4: Well, you know, and we kind of dipped into unsolved mysteries territory right, there at the end of the show. So if you or anyone you know have any information on the origin of mums in Texas, mm-hmm. please contact the Texas Standard.
0: <laughs> You know how to do it right. (laughs) TexasStandard.org. That's the best way. And you can keep up with the news, uh, of course, uh, all weekend long. But uh, we're out of time for the big broadcast. We're coming up on uh, on the end of things. Uh, News does continue there. And we, of course, want to continue hearing from you. You can tweet us at Texas Standard. You can join the conversation on Facebook, too. On behalf of the entire Texas Standard crew, including Mr. Dunbar here, I'm David Brown. Wishing you a wonderful weekend.
1: Philanthropic support for Texas Standard comes from Casey and Scott O'Hare, the Winkler Family Foundation, Lynn Dobson and Greg Woldridge, Adrian Killam, and the George Huntington family. Would your company or organization like to be a sponsor as well? Contact your local station for opportunities within your community. For statewide sponsorships, visit TexasPublicMediaNetwork.com.